thing or the upper limb. It's the brain plexus. Surprise. Now what is the plexus? Network. A network of nerves. It can be a network of veins. So, these plexus are the actual spinal nerves. Can you, uh, excuse me, if anybody is on the phone, can you do anything? So, when you look at the breaking flexes, they are the spinal nerves. Now, I want to draw a typical spinal nerve. You should know the specifics of that. You have the spinal cord, which is most of the reasons you have the ventral horns, dorsal horns, these are all gray matter. Then you have white matter all around. That's the spinal cord. It's called a central canal. So from, from the ventral horns, which are the bigger ones, you get the motor root coming out. In the dorsal part, you have a sensory which has got a dorsal root ganglion that enters the posterior column. Okay? Now, if you bring both these nerves together, it becomes a mixed nerve. It's a mixed nerve of sensory as well as motor. And then this divides into two rami. The dorsal ramis. Do not confuse the word ramis with the root. This is the ventral ramis. But this is the ventral root. That's why this is called DRG, dorsal root ganglion. Okay? Now all these ventral rami of C5, C6, C7, C8, and T1 go to form the brachial plexus, which is not the dorsal ramus. It's the ventral ramus. So they form the plexus. That? Now, when we talk about the brachial plexus, we talk about the roots of the brachial plexus. Mind you, the roots of the brachial plexus are not the same as the roots of the nerves. They are actually the ventral ramen. Okay, don't confuse the roots of the brachial plexus with the root of a spinal nerve. Understand? Even though they call it roots of the brachial plexus, they actually mean the ventral rabbit. Now the basic principle about this brachial plexus, you have the anterior divisions in the plexus and posterior divisions in the plexus. Just remember this. There are three actions which go together. Abduction, lateral rotation, 
an extension. Abduction, lateral rotation, and extension. So all these modules which do this function are supplied by the posterior divisions of the breaker plexus. What are the what are the three opposites of the three actions I told you? Abduction, and flexion. They are separated by the anterior divisions of the brachial plexus. This is the basic thing that we know. When we know the brachial plexus, you will understand that better. These are the five most important nerves that you must know, and you have to know, and you have to live with this. Axillary nerve. We spoke a lot about it yesterday. It supplies motors with a flexor, abductor, and extensor of the arm. Basically, it is the abductors among all these actions. And also cutaneous to the shoulder. Cutaneous to the shoulder. Why do you say flexor here? Because deltoid is also a flexor. Why? Deltoid has got three sets of fibers. One coming from the front of the clavicle, well, that will be your flexor. One coming from the back, scapula, that will be an extensor. And then a combination of both clavicle and scapula at the acromion will be the middle fibers. The other ones which form the bulk. So that's why deltoid is more of an abductor, but it can also flex. It can also extend, it can also medially rotate, it can also laterally rotate. You got the idea behind it? The anterior fibers of the deltoid are flexors and medial rotators. The posterior fibers of the deltoid are extensors and lateral rotators. The middle fibers of the deltoid are abductors. So that's how you got to learn this And musculocutaneous nerve. The name itself tells you it supplies muscles as well as skin. Median nerve, ulna nerve, radial. The spine nerves are muscle. Now, what is a dermatome? It's an area of the skin supplied by one spinal nerve. What is a myotome? Muscles supplied by it's a group of muscles which are supplied by the one spinal nerve. So when you look at the dermatomes, you need to know these dermatomes to test sensations in case of certain neurological pathologies. If somebody develops <coughs> a, a stroke, a mild stroke you have to examine the seals. So you have to you know, touch the chest, touch the arm, different places to find out whether he's able to feel the sensations. So for that you should know the anatomy of the nerve. There is a considerable overlap between the dermatomes above and the dermatomes below. But there's no overlap along these axial lines. These are the three axial lines that you come across. 
anterior, posterior and mid-axle. So if the nerve has to supply the back, like for instance here, these nerves do not supply the front. I mean, they don't cross the middle of the axle. So the ones which are going to the front will be the ventral branches. The ones which go to the back will be the dorsal branches. So there's, there's no overlap. Otherwise, one above, one below, they can overlap. This is a very interesting uh, piece of information which is given in your Kaplan textbook. When you go through the Kaplan textbook, he gives you this. Easy to remember. C2, spinal nerve, supplies the posterior part of the skull cap. You see that the back of the skull? That's C2. If you wear a high turtleneck, then it will be coming down a little low here. A low collar shirt like this is for C4. And a collarless t shirt will be C5. Now these are the dermatomes before the limbs develop. I want you to look at the colors which are put over here. They almost represent the same color except for this and these two are not the same. I try my best to get it, but it's maximum I get this color. Now, if you get inside this cylinder, you put your and your arm and your upper limb grows out, it looks as if dragging out these colors into the arm. So let's look at this. C4 is here. So when the, arm, when the limb extends out, C4 extends to the region of the upper part of the shoulders. C5 will go down to the arm. C6 would be in the lower part of the forearm on the lateral side. C7 would be the middle three fingers. C8 would be the little finger, come back up, and then T1, here it's called D1, it can be also called D1. T1 supplies the medial aspect of the arm. And then as it goes down, it becomes T2. So looking at this, T2 would be supplying a small portion of, because there are certain mistakes in some diagrams and all that, but basically T1 does not supply the front of the chest. There is no uh, division of T1 that supplies the skin over the front of the chest. If I feel my chest just below the clavicle, it is not T1. So where do those, where do the nerves in that region come from? They come from the cervical plexus come from high above, maybe C3, C4, it will come down to supply the region of the chest, in front of in the upper part of the chest. Okay? Sorry? Yeah. Sorry, do you mean sensory? Sensory. I'm only talking about sensory. Okay. So, this again is picked up from say Kaplan textbook. So, this you can see that C3 and C4 are high above, whereas T, uh, C8 and T1 are further down below. If you look at C5, C6, 
is actually. You look at C6, C7, it will be the radial one. Actually, the radial nerve has got all the roots. Yes. You look at C6, C7, also you find the median nerve, which is included. C8 and T1 is usually associated with the alpha or sensations. So, if somebody loses sensation of the little finger, you can't feel that means the level of lesion is probably around T1. That's how you figure out where there's compression of the spinal cord. And that's what you do in the neurological examination. So you've got to know the dermatomes. Okay? This is the posterior aspect. Okay, now let's get to the myotomes. These are the ones nerves supply the muscles in those particular segments. There are basic rules that you may need to follow, though sometimes it can be a little deviated. But this is what happens. Proximal distal gradient. In the higher level in the spinal cord will supply muscles which are more proximal. The lower level in the spinal cord will supply muscles which are more distant. So the intrinsic shoulder muscles, you see, C5, C6. Whereas the intrinsic hand muscles would be C8 and T1. It's at a lower level. Have that idea. And in between, you get C6 There's a little mistake over here. All you got to do in your computer is put the wrist down here, they'll go up. This happened to see what's I've corrected it on my Artery, and then it axillary artery changes its name to brachial artery, 
Brachial artery divides into two branches, radial and ulnar artery. These are the arteries of the upper limb. This is the axillary artery. The subclavian artery stops at the outer border of the first rib. From the outer border of the first rib to the lower border of a muscle that goes around here, called the teres major, is the axillary artery. From the lower border of the teres major, right up to the front of the elbow, will be the brachial artery. And then in the forearm, the radial and the artery. So here you see the axillary artery. The whole thing looks pretty jumbled, but it's simple. There's a muscle that takes origin from the second rib, third rib, and fourth rib, and inserts into the coracoid process. That muscle is called pectoralis. Now this muscle lies in front of this artery. So this artery gets divided into three parts. The first part lying proximal to the muscle, the second part lying behind the muscle, and the third part lying distal to the muscle. Okay? Easy to remember. There are there's only one branch in the first part. Two branches, the second part, there are three branches, the third part. So the brachial artery divides into radial and ulnar. Now many of us, as we read, we think nerves and arteries, that's more important. So forget about the nerves, wings. But you've got to pay a lot of importance to the wings. Because veins are sources of entry into the heart. If you have to catheterize the subclavian vein, you enter into the right atrium. You have to know the veins. Veins can get blocked by mammary cancer. So you should know how the blood, distant to the block, can reach the heart. So that's why it's important. So there are sets of veins in the hand, the deep veins. They're not named. But you would get these deep veins on the lateral side as well as the middle side. And there are superficial veins. So there are two sets of veins in both the limbs. The superficial veins lying just below the skin. Deep veins lying deep to the deep fascia within the muscle. So all the blood from both the sets would have to travel up and go to subclavian. Now you have the basilic vein. The basilic vein is, is a superficial vein at the back of the wrist, the back of the hand, there's an arch like this. It's called the dorsal venous arch. And extending from the medial and the lateral borders are two, two veins which ascend up. One vein running on the medial side is called the basilic vein. The vein running on the lateral side is called the cephalic vein. So the cephalic vein and the basilic vein are superficial veins. They have reached up and enter the subclavian. 
sepalic vein is the one that goes all the way up and pierces somewhere here and gets into the axillary. The basilic vein on the medium side will ascend up, pierce the deep fascia in the middle of the arm, and then join the brachial. So brachial vein becomes axillary. Axillary vein becomes subclavian. So ultimately blood has to get into the big vein to the heart. Now, many of you have had your blood, it's called a very puncture, get blood drained from front of the elbow, testing. Well, that's a vein that stretches and connects the cephalic vein to the basilic vein. And you can see that it's a very prominent vein, that's what they use to tap the blood. That's called the median cubital. Median cubital. So, the axillary vein receives the cephalic vein, and then uh, the basilic vein joins the brachial vein. And finally, that enters into the heart. There's something here which I've mentioned. There are some set of veins called the thoraco. Epigastric veins. Now these veins run along the side of the chest, down below, and join with the superficial veins of the lower limb. So they connect superficially. So this is a pathway for collateral circulation in case the IVC is blocked. IVC is what? Venoferial vena cover. If the inferior vena cava is a big vein in the abdomen is blocked, then blood from the limbs cannot go up, reach the heart. So how will they reach the heart? They will go through these connecting veins and enter into the axillary vein and subclavian vein, then they enter the heart. That's why these veins are important. So these are the veins. Finally, this is a very good diagram. This is I think I took it out from one of the textbooks, anatomy physiology. Very cleanly showing the schematic arch in the arterial supply to the upper limb. So, what is the artery that supplies the upper limb? Subclavian arteries. Okay, just follow this. Okay, now we start with pectoral region. So much important overview. Now we get into a little detail. Okay, this is the pectoral region. That is the shoulder region. Before I start this class, I want you to understand some attachment of some muscles. I'm going to list a set of muscles that you must know.
Now you do you remember the axial skeleton? The bones forming the axial skeleton? Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you tell me? The skull, the vertebral column, ribs, sternum, thyroid, so okay. Now there are muscles which start from the axial skeleton and insert into the pectoral girdle. So that means they either start from the vertebra or from the ribs and insert into either the scapula or clavicle. I'm going to list those muscles and that you should So muscles connecting axial to pectoral girdle. Trapezius is a muscle that starts from the skull. It starts from the spines of all, uh, sorry, uh, the seventh cervical, not the spines of C1, C2, C3, C4, C5, C6. Because indirectly, through a ligament, it's connected to those spines. It takes attachment from the seventh cervical, all the spines of the thoracic vertebrae. So how many are there? How many vertebrae thoracic vertebrae? Twelve vertebrae. So all the way this muscle takes origin. So one forms a triangle, other one forms another triangle, and that's why this is called trapezius. So the trapezius is one. The next muscle, latus What's the second word? Serratus. Minor. 
at the back, there are some sets of muscles attaching the scapula to the spines of the cervical One is called the radial scapula. Elevates the scapula. The radial scapula. But how do you say the first word? So now when you are looking at the pectoral and shoulder region, you will have to see muscles in front and muscles at the back. I will add on to the list as I get there. Okay? There are some things that you have to know about the topographic anatomy. Supra-external notch. Feel the notch just above the stomach. Sternal angle. You feel the bridge in front of the sternum. What is mid-clavicular line? From the middle of the clavicle. Mid-axillary line. Posterior axillary line. The nipple. In the male it's constant in the fourth intercostal space, but in the female it can vary. <coughs> the tip of the shoulder. Refer to the 
acromion. The acromion forms the tip of the sternum. I've shown you this important landmarks at the back in the overview. So what is more important here is the highest point of the iliac crest, draw a line across that passes between L3 and L4, and that's for the lumbar function. Okay, now let's look at the pectoral girdle muscles, anterior and posterior muscles. These shoulder movements occur at these following joints. Sternoclavicular, move your shoulder. Acromioclavicular, it slightly moves, but no muscle acts on it. And there's another joint, which is not an actual joint between two bones, but it is a joint between the muscles of the scapula and the muscles on the thoracic wall. That's why this is called a suture. So what are the major posterior muscles? Trapezius. Levator scapula and rhomboids, you find them in this The major anterior muscles, pectoral is major, pectoral is minor, cervical is anterior and subcutaneous. So we've got to know all these muscles. We're going to deal with them, we're going to deal with where they attach and what is the nerve supply and what happens if the nerve is cut. So, I told you in the beginning, never take a muscle and read it separately. Read them in groups. That will make your life easy. Unless you say, how can I remember all these attachments? Okay. So, elevation. What elevates the shoulder? I call it cervical trapezius. Why? Because the fibers come from the cervical region. So when these fibers come from the cervical region, it comes from the skull, the spine, cervical region. When this comes down, it inserts into the pectoral girdle. So what will it do when that part contracts? It elevates the shoulder. Levator scapula, the name itself tells you, it elevates. So, shoulders lift. Rhomboids. Even they. Can you keep the questions to the end? Look down and answer that question. Continuity won't get lost. Rhomboids. Rhomboids also come from the region, upper part of the cervical region, onto the scapula. So, they lift the scapula. Depression. There are muscles coming from below. And going to the scapula. Example is a pectoralis minor. It comes from the front of the chest and goes up to the scapula. So it pulls it up. Subclavius. It attaches from the first rib and goes to the clavicle. So what will it do to the clavicle? And maybe the thoracic trapezius would depress it. Protraction. What is protraction? You love somebody? You hug somebody. So the scapula goes along the sides of the chest to the front. So that means something must be pulling it from the front and 
from the attached to the front, it pulls it towards the front. So there's a muscle on the side of the chest, I mean from the ribs, that inserts into the scapula, and that is the serratus and kidney. Pectoralis minor also plays a minor role. Retraction, it goes back, scapula is going back. So anything that is at the back would retract. Trapezius and the rhomboids. Trapezius doesn't or take origin only from here, it also takes origin from here and from here. From below. So these fibers, when they contract, they bring the scapula backwards. So that is retraction. Then upward rotation. Now I want to demonstrate something. Let's assume this is the scapula. This is the upper part of the scapula, the lower part of the scapula. I bang a nail into it, fix it. The scapula moves like this. This is the inferior angle. This is the lateral side. Okay? This is where the humor is. Okay? Now, if the inferior angle moves outward, that means it is called lateral rotation. If the inferior angle moves inward, it is medial rotation. So what are the muscles which produce upward rotation or lateral rotation? The cervical trapezius, the thoracic trapezius, and the serratus I want to reach this tube like I want to fix that uh, starter. What am I doing? Elevated my arm above 90 degrees. So when you elevate your arm above 90 degrees, the scapula turns laterally. So there's a lateral rotation of the scapula. For every 2 degrees of abduction of the humerus, there is 1 degree of rotation of the scapula. So when you hyperabduct your arm, you also rotate your scapula. So what muscle rotates into this? Serratus What else? Trapezius. Okay. So what are the two muscles that play a role in hyperabduction of the arm? Trapezius and serratus That's why I told you in the beginning, the first 15 degrees is by supraspinatus. Supraspinatus is a very short muscle coming from the scapula above the spine, inserts into what? Inserts where? Sits. Where is the sit? Greater tuberosity on top. So the very short muscle coming from the scapula and going right to the greater tuberosity. So, so short that it is not able to lift the arm completely. So it starts to lift it, then the deltoid takes over, and then the serratus anterior and trapezius takes over. So abduction initiated by supraspinatus. Taken up to 90 degrees, a little above by the deltoid, and hyperabducted by serratus and trapezius. Serratus anterior and trapezius. Then the downward rotation is the rhomboids and pectoralis minor. See, these are muscles 
normally when you talk about muscles, you say it acts at its origin onto its insertion. Okay? Or sometimes the muscle can act from its insertion to its origin. So nowadays we don't talk about origin insertion anymore. We only say attachment. Because the muscle can be acting both ways. For instance, I'm standing here. Yes. Okay? I have a tendency to fall forwards. But I'm held backwards by the anti-gravity muscles, which is the calf muscles, the gastrocnemius Now take the anatomy of gastrocnemius They arise from the femur at the back and go down to the calcaneus. Task to board. It's at the back. So, what it should do, gastrocnemius, normally when it has to act from origin to insertion, it's at the back of the leg. What will it do to the ankle joint? What, what are the movements of the ankle joint? Oh. Dorsiflexion, plantar flexion. Now, what are, which one of these two? It's by the gastrocnemius. Plantar flexion. Okay, that's the action. But if it acts from the heel to the leg, it prevents you from falling forwards. So it pulls you back. Right? So that's why we never talk about origin Even though it is mentioned, say what is the proximal attachment, what is the distal attachment. And that is a better way to look at this picture is seen in your fetal mode textbook. I want you to go through this as we do these muscles. Okay? This shows the name of the muscle. This shows the uh, which part of it is producing the movement. This column shows the nerve supply to the muscle. And of course, we don't speak much about the range of movements. It's more on physiotherapy and all that. So we leave. Okay, let's look at the pectoralis major. It's also a muscle that helps in swimming. It's a very powerful muscle in front of the chest. Then pectoralis minor. See the pectoralis minor there? This is the pectoralis major going to the humerus. Pectoralis minor does not go to the humerus. It goes only to the scapula. Subclavius, coming from the first rib, it uh, attaches to the clavicle below. And the serratus anterior, you can see it arising from all the ribs here. And it's attached to the medial border of the scapula. So these four muscles are going to take this. So let's take the pectoralis major. Even though I say origin, it will continue to say origin. Because you have to know where it is attached. So it is attached to the medial half of the clavicle. You can see the attachment there. Then the manubrium sternum. Now this is the sternum. Sternum has got three parts. The manubrium, the body, and the ziphoid process. It's like a dagger. The manubrium is the handle. The body of the sternum is the blade of the knife. The sharp part of the knife is the ziphoid process. So it is attached to the manubrium and also to the body and also to the ribs, two to six, 
two to six ribs, sometimes from the abdominal wall sheath, and this inserts into the crest that is below the greater tubercle of the humerus. So what are the muscles which are inserted into the greater tubercle? Sitting muscles. So you go down, it is the pectoralis major. So this muscle comes from the medial side, goes on to the humerus. So what is its action? Adducts, flexes, and sort of medially rotates the arm. It assists the latissimus dorsae when you want to climb up a wall. The nerve supply to this is supplied by two nerves coming from the brachial plexus. One is called the medial pectoral, the other is called the lateral pectoral. Okay. Something that you need to know here. Uh, let, before I take this slide, let me do the pectoralis minor. The pectoralis minor lies deeper. You can see it arising from the second, third, and fourth ribs. And see where it is inserted into the coracoid process. So this muscle will draw the scapula down. Or acting from the scapula, it can lift the ribs. So anybody who's got asthma finds it difficult to breathe. It holds his arm this arms like this, and then takes deep breaths. So this is called an accessory muscle of respiration. It is active during labor inspiration. Again, okay, nerve supply by the medial pectoral. Now the pectoralis major also assists in respiratory distress. Now this pectoralis major has got a fascia on top of it. And on top of the fascia, superficial to the fascia, is the mammary gland in the female. In mammary cancers, the cancer can be located within the breast or it can infiltrate into the muscle. That's why you always examine the breast and see if it is moving. When you ask the lady to hold her hands against the hips, when you hold your hand against the hips, you can feel the pectoralis major contracting. And then you move the breast up and down, left and right. It shouldn't be fixed. If it is fixed, it is a sign of infiltrated cancer. So if the swelling in the breast moves freely with a contracted pectoralis major, that means it is not infiltrated fixture. So that's the importance of this. Uh, how do you test this muscle? You ask the patient to flex his arm and you hold it tight so that you are resisting it. Then you feel more the muscle tension. You try yourself. Press your hands against the hip and you feel, feel the anterior part. You find a tendon that is jutting up. That forms a fold. Anterior axillary fold. So what muscle forms the anterior axillary fold? Pectoralis major. Okay, now we go to this one. I want you to have a look at this 
center feature or even this one. This is a cut section of scapula. You see the scapula is cut like this. That's the spine of the scapula. So that muscle above that is what muscle? Supraspinous. Supraspinous. The muscle below that is inferior spinous. The muscle in front of the scapula is subscapularis. Now this muscle here, which is cut, is the pectoralis major. Lying deep to that muscle is another muscle called pectoralis minor. And there you see the clavicle that is cut. And just below the clavicle, you see a small muscle that's the subclavicle. So you see that white line there? That's a fascia. It's a deep fascia. It is stretching from the clavicle to the pectoralis minor. That's why it's called clavipectoral fascia. Now this fascia reaches the pectoralis minor and continues further down and inserts into the skin of the hollow of the armpit. Fine. You see, when you press your arms against the hips, you find a hollow in your armpit. You should feel the hollow. If the hollow gets filled up, that means something is abnormal. Okay? When you want to check a lady who's got mammary cancer and the hollow of the armpit is obliterated, you may think of two things. Number one, cancer could have infiltrated this fascia and so this fascia becomes very loose and so the hollow drops. Okay? Or there may be axillary lymph nodes which are enlarged inside the axilla. So these are some signs, important signs of, of uh, identifying clinically if there's anything wrong with this lymph nodes of this fascia. You see that part of the fascia coming down from the pectoralis minor to the armpit? That is called the suspensory ligament of the axilla. Suspensory ligament of GERDI. Involvement of this suspensory ligament of GERDI is seen in infiltration of mammary cancers. That's about clavipectal fascia. And then there's one more thing about the clavipectal fascia that you see. You see a vein there. You see the vein piercing there and entering a bigger vein. Well, that big vein is the subclavian now, the axillary vein. And this vein is the cephalic vein. So the cephalic vein starts from the radial border of the dorsal venous arch runs superficially all around the forearm, all along the arm, reaches the front of the chest, pierces the clavipectoral fascia and enters the deep vein. Okay? What other structures are piercing this clavipectoral fascia and coming up? There's an artery that's called the thoracoacromial artery. Now this is an artery, the branch of axillary artery. That also pierces the nerve. And a nerve, lateral 
pectoral nerve. That nerve comes from the brachial plexus. You see one nerve there? You see that? It's piercing the fascia. And what is it supplying? Pectoralis major. So, it is not supplying the pectoralis minor. Why? Because it skips it, it pierces the fascia and supplies the muscle superficial to the fascia. So, lateral pectoral nerve anatomically does not supply pectoralis minor. The medial pectoral nerve comes from the medial cord. The lateral pectoral nerve comes from the lateral cord. Now, you have these cords which are hitting the brachial plexus, it comes in sets. Starts with the roots, then the roots go and form trunks, the trunks divide into branches, and the branches form the cords. I repeat, the sequence of formation of the brachial plexus starts off from the neck as roots, and these roots should not be confused for the root of the spinal cord. Why? Because they are ventrolateral, they are not roots. So, it starts off as a roots, you have the roots of the brachial plexus. So, what are the roots of the brachial plexus? What are the numbers? C5, five, five, T1, C6, 7, 8, and T1. You should remember that there are only 7 cervical vertebrae, but there are 8 cervical nerves. How many spaces are there between my 5 digits? 4 spaces. So I have five digits and there are four spaces. So we have seven vertebrae. Six. We should probably be getting six cervical nerves, but you have eight. So the first one goes above the first vertebra, and the last one goes below the last vertebra. Understand? Mm -hmm. So that's where you get eight cervical nerves versus seven cervical which pierce the clavicular fascia are lymphatics. Now these lymphatic channels carry lymph from the mammary gland. And so if there's a mammary cancer, these lymphatics will pierce this fascia and go to the deeper lymphatics. So what are the four things that pierce the clavicular fascia? No, not nerves, veins, no way. You say that, you're wrong. A nerve, a vein, an artery, and some lymphatics. Got it? What is a nerve? What is a vein? What is the artery? Lymphatics. You can probably put all this in red. Shade it up in red. So when you're reading for the exam, you're actually picking What is the importance of suspensory ligament of the axilla? Uh, what is the importance of suspensory ligament of the axilla? Its importance in mammary cancer. Its importance in axillary lymph adenopathy. What is this? Lymph adenopathy. 
what does it mean? It simply means enlargement of limbs. Limb okay? Okay, so, just before we go for a break, Emperor is major. Just tell me the bones where it takes attachment. No, tell me the bones where it starts. Sternum, why do you sternum? Does it come from the scapula? Money does it come from the clavicle? No? It does come from the clavicle. You've got clavicle fibers. Does it come from the ribs? Yes. Does it come from the sternum? Yes. Which part of the sternum? Sternocosm. Mandibule? Body? But not the body. Okay. And then where does, where does it attach? Just below the great tube crossing. What is its action? Adduction, flexion, So, give me one common thing that you have to use the pectoral as nature. Any, any common kind of that you guys, I don't know whether you can read books, you know, can you a heavy book between your chest and your arms? You're actually, what are you doing to your arm? Adapting. So what muscles? Which is the best way to test that muscle? To stand at the hips. Okay. Arms against the hips. And what is that tendon that you feel? What is that? It's a tendon of pectoralis major. So what does it form in the axilla? Axillary fold. Which axillary fold? Anterior axillary fold. What is the nerve supply to the pectoral nerve? I have to study. <laughs> lateral pectoral. Lateral pectoral. What is the nerve supply to the pectoral minor? Medial. We say lateral pectoral. It's not lateral pectoral. It's not lateral pectoral. Pectoral is minor. It's not the lateral pectoral nerve. Pectoral major is the lateral pectoral nerve and the medial pectoral. Because the medial one pierces the pectoral minor and then goes and supplies it. Serrate is anterior. It's attachment. Proximity. Huh? What? Where is the serrate is anterior attached? Proximity. The scapula. Scapula. C1? No, C1. I was asking which Medium? Okay. Attaches to the scapula, but it comes from where? Ribs. From the sides of the ribs into which part of the scapula? Medium. If it's a triangle, now you will get superior, medium, lateral. Now which border is this muscle attached to? The medial border. It comes all the way around the chest and goes to the medial border. On which surface? Costal or dorsal? Costal. You got that? So serratus anterior from the sides of the ribs. Sides of the ribs mainly from 1 to 6. Or 1 to 8. Sorry, 1 to 8. And then it sweeps around the chest, goes to the medial border of the scapula on its anterior surface or on the costal surface. 
So when it acts on the chest wall, it will pull the scapula forwards. Let's go for a break. <laughs> The Charlie Brown and Snoopy Show will return after these messages. Mr. Turtle, how many minutes did it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Why, he never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. So this is my new sponsor, uh, Tootsie Roll and Tootsie Roll Pop. Uh, I appreciate your support and let's look forward to more success. <laughs>